Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Hormonally Speaking. Today I have a very special guest here who is both a colleague and friend of mine, and she is somebody that I really wanted to have on the podcast because this topic of endometriosis, which is really uh, feeling like it's much more common these days, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's feeling like it, uh, paired up with struggling to conceive. This is um, a big thing that I think a lot of women are facing that is not being talked about enough. So I'm really excited to have Lizzie Alexander here, who's a PhD and a certified integrative nutrition health coach and holistic massage therapist. Lizzie specializes as a woman's health coach for women with endometriosis wanting to get pregnant. She's an entrepreneur and a mother of one. She used to be a marine biologist, a scientific researcher, and environmental consultant, but she is now a certified coach with a love for health, hormones, nutrition, and cooking, in particular, endometriosis and fertility. You can find her at endofertilityspecialist.com, and she also has a Facebook group for women that are struggling to conceive, and that is Thrive and Conceive with Endometriosis, and that will be in the notes, that link, so you can go there and join her group. Welcome, Lizzie. Thank you. I'm really excited about today's interview and yeah, just delving in a bit more and talking about a subject that I love talking about. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, you know, I feel like we hear about endometriosis so much more now than we used to. And, you know, is that partly because women are just getting diagnosed more? Um, and actually, let's back up a little bit for those that don't really understand endometriosis and just kind of talk about what it is first. So um, what it is, basically, it's the thing that comes up first is pain. So that's mm-hmm. the thing that really that we, we see is pain. Mm-hmm. It's pain when you have your periods. It's pain during ovulation, um, pain during um, bowel movements, particularly stabbing pain. Kind of, um, so you kind of there's different levels of pain as well. So you, like I said, you've got the stabbing pain. You can have throbbing pain. It can be ongoing pain. But pain is the big thing. Also pain during sex. Mm. Um, so these are the big signs um, that potentially you've got endometriosis. There are lots of other signs. Um, so, I mean, the pain is associated with inflammation. Mm-hmm. So with endometriosis, you kind of, um, you have inflammation issues. Um, you've got hormone imbalances, um, but also you've got um, signs that your immune system is basically um, out of whack as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so different symptoms you need to look at them will show you what's going on so the pain and the bloating is is a sign that you've got a lot of inflammation going on um and then things like pms breast pain clotting um these are all signs of hormonal imbalance which i imagine you've talked about a lot of you know during your podcast previous podcasts um and then the other um the other one which is poor immune functions basically is like frequent bladder infections yeast infections um thrush um catching a cold easily sensitive to smells like skin sensitivity food sensitivities they're all signs that basically your immune system is like um on this constant watch out because you've got this inflammation going on Mm -hmm. Um, i mean i had a lot of thrush over the years and Mm. couldn't work out why i kept getting it all the time and then kind of as i started delving into what was going on it kind of came back that that was related to the gut but we'll kind of talk about that later on so Mm. the the big signs really are are the bloating and the pain so painful period painful sex um bowel pain water retention that kind of thing so yeah. Nice. I had no idea that having thrush, you know, consistently was one of the big signs of it because that's, that's something that, you know, I think quite a few women deal with at different points in their lives and may mm-hmm. not have made that connection. Um, and it, so when you mentioned like feeling it, um, you know, bladder and then bowels, 
So that is because the, the tissue that's only supposed to be in the uterus makes its way essentially outside of the uterus, right? And yes, exactly. So it's the fact you've got these um, endometrial growths on the outside of your womb. So it's not on the inside of your womb, it's on the outside of your womb. And this then causes inflammation. So you may not necessarily, so some women will have the growths on their bowel, they'll have them on their bladder. And unfortunately, um, it can end up basically the lesions and then the scar tissue that's caused from the lesions will end up causing organs to stick together. So your ovaries and fallopian tubes can then get stuck to the back of your womb, can be stuck to your bowel. And so depending on the degree of um, growth that you have inside would depend on the degree of endometriosis you'd be classified mm -hmm. with if you had a lap laparoscopy. So basically you can be told that you've got um, stage one, which is the, the least up to stage four, mm -hmm. which is it could be covered over all sorts of different organs and you could have these organs stuck together. And if you get lesions on the bowel, um, surgeons will not particularly want to operate on that and you know we've talked about this before in terms of you know what damage that can cause to the bowel i mean i'm not an expert in terms of the surgeries and what they do in terms of the surgeries that's not kind of my speciality mm -hmm. I know a bit about it but that's not what i kind of know the most about right well you're kind of looking more at root cause issues right and bringing yeah. down the inflammation yeah. because um you know we have sort of probably not a lot of control over it sort of landing in these different areas. And especially if it lands on the bowels and that kind of thing. And, and as you know, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows um, these surgeries can go awry, especially if there is this tissue right on the bowel and absolutely we don't want to, you know, get the bowel nicked. So I, you know, kind of approaching things from that, bringing down the inflammation standpoint, I imagine is, is kind of the goal, right? And, and, yeah, and yes. working with it. And then it, it, it impacts the rest of your system too, which I would imagine is super, you know, important in terms of getting pregnant. You know, your immune system can't be like just on like go, go, go all the time and your body be ready to get pregnant. No. So exactly. If you're, so the way that endometriosis affects um, fertility is, um, the biggest thing is the inflammation. They, they still are a lot of uncertainties as to exactly how endometriosis can cause infertility. And it, it's not necessarily that it does always. So that's what they're, you know, they're still kind of trying to understand that. They reckon that about 40% of women with unexplained infertility is due to endometriosis. Mm. Um, wow, that's but, quite a bit. Which is quite a bit. Yeah. But there is often other things that come in. So like every woman's different. Every woman's endometriosis is different. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm finding very much with my clients um, and many other, you know, women who work with women with endometriosis um, will say the same, that the root causes behind it, um, which is still so unknown. I mean, as endometriosis itself is still very unknown, but what we're finding is that what is affecting one woman is not the same as affecting someone else mm -hmm. and it's the same for their fertility so you kind of match the fact they've got endometriosis and they're struggling to get pregnant mm -hmm. and it's not going to be the same for every woman there will be generic things like in terms of inflammation so it's an inflammatory disease mm -hmm. so inflammation is the thing that you need to bring down mm -hmm. because what happens with um when you're trying to get pregnant the really obvious things you know you get the sperm which basically um enters inside you makes its way up the uterus up into your fallopian tubes and obviously you have an egg released um, out of your ovary which then moves down your fallopian tubes when you've got inflammation that can cause inflammation within and around basically your fallopian tubes your ovaries so a good example would be the inflammation can actually um impede the release of an egg so the, basically the little sort of villi that are, are, are along the inside of the fallopian tubes mm -hmm. they'll be so inflamed they actually can't even move the egg along okay. and so therefore it's causing problems and you can't even you know the sperm and the egg can't even meet but then if if the egg actually does end up being fertilized and you want you know the egg then moves down into the uterus for for um implantation basically the inflammation within the uterus what they're finding is you basically get these cytokines mm -hmm. um, which are caused as a result of the inflammation and they secrete toxins and those toxins can 
cause the embryo either it's fine and it ends up um embedding in but mm-hmm. then you end up miscarrying because you know those toxins cause basically a, a very poor environment for the egg right. to continue to basically grow right so this is where inflammation is really one of the key things you need to reduce it's so interesting listening to you talk about that because i you know i hear microvilli and i think the the gut right because we have mm-hmm. The microvilli all through, you know, especially the small intestine. And when inflammation is going on, it's kind of a similar issue, right? Um, either the microvilli, like by certain foods, if you're celiac, it's kind of like those microvilli are like mowed over. It's like somebody took a lawnmower and just, you know, like cut them out. Um, but also this, you know, this issue of not being able to break down food properly when mm-hmm. there's inflammation going on in the gut. And then that you know, leads to more inflammation because when the food makes its way through your intestines and it's not broken down properly, it's very irritating to the gut, you know? And so it's kind of the same idea in some ways of, you know, the embryo struggles to, to get implanted when there's inflammation and it's like food struggles to break down and the nutrients that you need from that food to absorb that it it doesn't happen or it it doesn't happen as well as we would like because of that inflammation. So you you can really see how inflammation underlies so much of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Massive amounts. And then of course it, it not only affects that way, but in terms of, you know, your, your womb lining, Mm -hmm. you know, the inflammation is going to prevent, like you said, then, you know, the nutrients getting through, you know, as well, you get basically stagnation, you get pooling. I mean, in Chinese medicine, they view endometriosis as kind of like a, as a stagnation disease. Mm -hmm. It's like your pelvis is just stagnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was quite interesting. I was doing um, some research earlier, um, you know, with regards to uh, massage, because massage is a fantastic way, basically, of improving blood flow and oxygenation mm-hmm. and bringing in nutrients. And and as a massage therapist, this is something I also, you know, I, I love is massage. But one of the things that you can also get is you can get um, congest- pelvic congestion syndrome. Mm-hmm. Basically, the veins around within your pelvis, around the outside of your womb, um, enlargening and what I found which is quite interesting is that excess estrogen mm. causes your veins to enlarge and so then the ah. pool where the blood pools within those enlarged veins causing stagnation mm. and a lot of women who have pain and also this causes pain so I imagine a lot of women who have pain might be not diagnosed with endometriosis they might be told that they have pelvic congestion syndrome or vice versa so mm-hmm. there's a bit of a kind of quite interesting link between that and then also the connection with fertility. Well, I definitely want to hop into talking about ways to work with inflammation, but I want to step back really quick because I realize, um, you know, we didn't talk about and people might not know how you actually do get diagnosed with endometriosis, you know, especially um, what you're saying that, you know, some women will get diagnosed with the wrong thing. So what is the process of that? So the thing with being diagnosed, it's, it is difficult. I won't lie. There are many women who, I think the proportion, it, it can take, they say on average between eight to 10 years wow. to get diagnosed, which is crazy. And for many others, it's longer. I mean, for myself, mm-hmm. I didn't de- get diagnosed until I was 30. I always forget 37 or 38. Wow. And I had painful periods at the age of my period started at 11. Um, and by 14, I was on the pill. I was on the pill because of pain because I was Mm -hmm. passing out unconscious throwing up and all that time and I had so many symptoms you know through the years on and off the pill blah 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 blah. I won't go on about it but looking back there are so many aha moments there are so many times where it's like aha that makes sense you know I had chronic Mm -hmm. fatigue years I even had a laparoscopy when I was in my late 20s because my coil got stuck up my fallopian tube and was causing me pain. And they went, you know, this gynecologist went in um, to go and find the the coil basically Mm -hmm. and remove it out. And at the same time, she thought she would do a laparoscopy and just check around my womb. Mm -hmm. And afterwards she reported to me, and this was on my notes, it was Mm -hmm. confirmed, you know, a couple of years ago that she thought that I had either an old STD 
because I had scarring on the back of my womb mm. or I had pelvic inflammatory disease. Mm. It was not endometriosis, but she didn't know because she wasn't a specialist. Mm. So that's the thing. Not all gynecologists right. are experts. In, right. You know, just because you're one thing doesn't mean that you know. Do you right. Know? You don't know about everything. Right. And it's a very that's specialized thing to, yeah. to, yeah, to know about. So basically on my notes, because it said that when I was going with my fertility issues, they basically ruled out endometriosis. Nobody uh. ever questioned me because they'd, someone had put this on my notes. Right. And so the thing really, I would say in terms of getting diagnosed um, is to make sure that you actually, if you have got um, painful periods, you know, heavy periods, anything's wrong with your period, to be honest, because your period shouldn't be painful. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just, it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And if it is excruciatingly painful and you can't go to work, you know, for two, three days a month, mm -hmm. it's affecting your life like that. Start recording, start mm -hmm. making notes of what your symptoms are. Make sure you record what's going on with your period in an app or a diary so that when you actually go to see the doctor, you've actually got evidence of what's going on rather okay. than just going in and going, I've got painful periods. And they're like, yeah, whatever. That's normal. Yeah. Here's birth control. <laughs> Not normal. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is they'll start to listen to you if you've got a bit of sort of, of a log, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. if you log down, if, cause the thing is you forget yourself. So many of the symptoms Sure. bring to, you know, I never connected I never connected the fact that painful sex had anything to do with it. I was just like, right. I, sex was meant to That's be. That's just who, that was your body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, was it normal to then lie there sort of screaming for hours after you've had sex? Uh, no, but I just didn't tell anybody because it's embarrassing. Right. Right. Ugh. And that's what we do as women, right? Is that we hmm. hide those things that we're like, well, it's us or, well, this is just the way it is. And so we don't want to talk about it and, and think yeah. that there's something, you know, even go to a place of like, oh, there's this something else that's creating this situation for me. Exactly. So for me, that would be the big thing is, is those things, even those things that are, you know, you're embarrassed about painful mm -hmm. bowel movements. Again, that's another embarrassing mm -hmm. one. You know, many women sitting on the toilet and just having stabbing pains that just, you just want to die from. I mean, it's yeah. just, awful and that and I remember when I went eventually I I took myself off privately because my mother had heard a, a radio program about endometriosis and I think this is where just coming back where you say have more women got endometriosis I don't think so I think mm -hmm. the awareness has increased which mm -hmm. is fantastic because mm -hmm. particularly in the last two or three years I think just the awareness has really ramped up I think with the internet people are searching and having questions about it mm -hmm. people used to put up with things so I think just that voice is getting out there and you know things are changing so for example in the UK last month um in conjunction with the endometriosis UK um a very brave woman basically had recorded a video which was then about her endometriosis and how it affected her career mm. the fact she was having to take off time from work and that was actually showed in the house of commons oh wow month. So, I mean, yeah, that's huge Yeah, yeah. So, to really raise that recognition mm -hmm. to basically so that work, so that places of work could um, understand why women might be taking off a couple of you know, a couple of days off a month and mm -hmm. not to be penalized for it. So it is, it's becoming something that is becoming um, more aware, mm -hmm. um, which is really good. And hopefully that will help with diagnosis, you know, diagnoses and that they don't take as long as they can do. Yeah. So when did you finally get diagnosed? Um, so my diagnosis, I never went really, I mean, I did go many, many times to go and say, Oh, I've got pain. And they would mm -hmm. just sort of push me away or do investigations and nothing came back. Um, so I eventually got diagnosed at 38. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. and, and what was it? So this new, cause you reached out to kind of a new doctor and, so and, Sorry. Yeah, so I went to my, I'd been going for fertility. So it mm -hmm. all became, and this is what happens with so many women is that basically they'll find out when they're going, when they want to get pregnant and they're mm. like, I can't get pregnant. So that's mm. what happened to us. We'd been trying, we couldn't get pregnant. And when you're older, you basically don't have to try as long before you can go to the doctors, but we'd still been trying, I think 18 months mm. and weren't having any luck. And I was 38. I think you can go after six months. Gotcha. Um, so we went, um, and here in the UK, you go through the NHS, so it's longer than, say, if you go through private. Mm -hmm. But 
we have the advantage of not having to pay for it initially mm-hmm. uh, but it it you, often you then go on a waiting list so of course went to the doctors got put on a fertility waiting list to go to the fertility clinic to go and do mm-hmm. further investigations which they did you know the usual scans where the fallopian tubes blocks that mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. um were there any cysts were there any fibroids you know and th- there was nothing like that and they basically said oh we can't find anything mm-hmm. um and i said oh i don't believe it because i'd always had a gut feeling since my early 20s that I was going to have a fertility issue. Mm. I have no idea. It was yeah. just a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't believe the doctor. I just said, you know, I'll take myself off privately because I was lucky enough to have private um, insurance. I did. I went and checked my hormones. The hormones came back with nothing, mm. um, interestingly, mm-hmm. um, which is another conversation because I yeah. think there was a lot of blood tests there and they don't look at optimum. They look yeah. at sort of, yeah. Yeah. And then that's when my mother heard the, the radio program. So then I went back to my doctor and basically said, look, I think actually after doing, you know, a bit of reading, I think I've got endometriosis. And she said, no, I don't think you have. I was like, I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. You need to refer me to a specialist and then let's see what he thinks. Right. It's like nothing else was showing up. I mean, come on. <laughs> and it's like, don't be a block here. Right. And I was panicking at this point. It was it was in the February and we'd already been told in the December that we were moving to Jordan mm, That's right. in the May. So yeah. it was February. And then in May, I was 38 years old, yeah. going to be moving overseas for two years. I'd be 40 by the time I came back. And I was like, this needs to happen now people. <laughs> the alarm bells are like, so basically, yeah, I took myself off to, and I said that all you need to do is write a letter. Yeah. So that we, I can go privately. I'm not even asking to go through the NHS. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Just write me a letter. And it took a lot even for her to write the letter. I got the letter. I know, got the letter. And then, yeah, went off and saw this doctor. And he was the first one who actually listened. He spent an hour asking me questions. Mm-hmm. Asking me questions like I ask my clients now. Mm-hmm. You know, delving questions. Questions from literally from when you're born, mm-hmm. you know everything to know your entire health history um and he just nodded but kept looking over at this nurse that was sat there you know when they had that knowing look yeah yeah yeah. you're like what are you what are you communicating right now (laughs) (laughs) and at the end he said to be honest i reckon i reckon 99 you've got it i'd eat my hat is what exactly what he said Mm. Um, and the relief i have to say the relief that someone thought they knew what was wrong with me mm-hmm. was huge. Oh, I can um, imagine. was massive. I mean, I remember sitting outside in the car and just crying my eyes out in oh. relief and wishing my husband had been there and yeah. I'd not brought him because I thought I don't want another wasted appointment. I don't, right. you know? Um, so yeah, it was big, but then I went in for a laparoscopy 10 days later. And because yeah. that's what you have to do, right. To actually get, yeah. But really diagnosed yeah they can't i mean some really specialist really good doctors that really know their stuff may be able to tell on people that have got you know stage three or four endometriosis Mm -hmm. they may be able to see things but if you've only got stage one or two you may not see those things it's it's incredible to me that we don't have between ultrasounds and mris and everything that there's not you know um a way that they can tell at this point Mm. But it doesn't get that clear, you know, because I remember, you know, I mean, this is very different, but on a CT scan that I had in order to get my reversal surgery, you know, it showed that I had an ovarian cyst on there. And obviously that's a growth that's going to show, you know, a bigger growth mm-hmm. that's going to show in a different way. But to me, it's like this stuff is supposed to be so, you know, pinpoint exact, especially with an MRI um, or a CT scan too, where you have to drink the contact trust dye and all that. You're like, how can they not be, you know, up on that? And to me, part of that is they, it just hasn't been a, you know, a priority to, to determine this stuff for women, you know, women's, women's health hasn't been a priority. It's becoming more of a priority now. Yeah. And I agree. And I think research, and I think I know, I know in the UK with endometriosis UK, that's where they're trying to push. They're trying to really push with, you know, raising funds to look into the research to try and develop that. So it is easier to diagnose than just to have a laparoscopy because that's like that. It's the only way to actually see. And of course, when you want a laparoscopy, you need to have it done by somebody that knows what they're doing. And And is it all, can they go vaginally or do they have to cut you? 
no, they have to, they have to go in because they're looking on the outside of your womb, basically, not just on the inside of your womb. So they do have to then go in with, um, what they called, um, keyhole surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So they do have to have a look. Um, and the thing is, like I said earlier, you can have people that aren't specialists and then they miss things. So you, you really do need to check up on who your, you know, who your surgeon is and actually, in hindsight because I did everything very quickly because I was in a massive hurry mm-hmm. I didn't have the best surgeon at all mm-hmm. so he was very good in terms of he diagnosed it mm-hmm. he was very sympathetic about it at, at the time however afterwards it was I mean I learned then I had ablation I didn't have excision so there's a difference between ablation and excision ablation is so imagine you've got an iceberg mm-hmm. ablation is basically cutting off the top of the iceberg i.e what you can see above the water gotcha okay excision is basically taking the whole iceberg out the bottom Mm -hmm. what's underneath the water i.e the root you know Mm -hmm. it'd be like taking the tree out so it's taking the the roots rather than just cutting off the stump Mm -hmm. then it um supposedly supposedly prevents it from regrowing Mm. um excision does rather than ablation ablation you've left the roots in there it can continue i mean people do say that excision stops you from regrowing again but to be honest i would slightly argue it depends on what the root cause of why it's grown in the first place right if you don't right. get rid of the root cause it probably is going to come back and come back yeah and it may be slower growing it may take a while exactly. to come back but ultimately yeah and i feel like i've heard that a bit too you know that um it's more successful obviously the excision surgeries for people and i i do know you know i have a couple clients and some friends that have had the ablation surgery and they were frustrated later when they learned that the excision yeah. surgery would have done much more for them, you know, because yeah. really the um, ablation didn't do much for very long. No, I mean, mine, I had pain back within six weeks. Oh, wow. Talk about not very long. And to put your body through surgery for that. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just as a reminder to people, I mean, we think surgery is so you know, it's so common that we think it's not that big of a deal, but it is a really traumatic, mm-hmm. hard thing on the body. Even, even the keyhole laparoscopic surgeries, you know, it's, it's intense on the body. And so to go through that, to only have pain, <laughs> you know, six weeks later again, I would have been very frustrated yeah. for sure. I was, I was devastated because the thing is what they say, if you're particularly having a fertility, they say, um, within six months of having the surgery you have a much higher chance basically of conceiving Mm -hmm. so to then have got the pain back within six weeks you know because at the time I hadn't stopped any of the things that were my root causes Mm -hmm. so of course first of all when you have ablation Mm -hmm. you then cause scar tissue so scar tissue can cause more havoc right then basically then the endo itself then of course you've got the endo growing back and if you don't make any changes because I didn't particularly know about it then, then of course it probably is going to come back. And I had a lot of stress. I mean, I then, you know, I, I had surgery, had two weeks to recover. Um, I gave up my job. I restarted, you know, started a new business. I moved countries, the stress around it. I'm, I'm not surprised. I was taking my massage therapy exams. I'm not surprised that that then caused further inflammation. Sure. I was eating very well. I wasn't sleeping well. So all of these things on how you can actually then work to improve your endometriosis symptoms for me were really, really bad. So I'm not surprised now why it came back. And of course, yeah. because I had the ablation. Well, so at what point did you start to understand and, and you know, come across what your root causes were and, and to work with those? So I, um, as I was finding out, just before I was finding out that I had endometriosis, I'd started like a fertility coaching course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my first sort of insight that you could, you could help your body heal. Mm. That, that was the first, I mean, that really was, um, where I realized that what I thought was a healthy diet really wasn't. And it was mm. kind of going through an understanding about my menstruation, understanding about healthy periods, kind of thing like that. And then, so I was doing that and I continued to do it remotely when I got to Jordan. Mm -hmm. But then when I was in Jordan, I got the pain back again and I was desperately frustrated. Um, I then looked into, could I find an endometriosis coach? Mm -hmm. Because I found this fertility coaching, which I'd found very much by chance. I didn't Mm -hmm. know about coaching. In the UK, coaching isn't really a 
it certainly wasn't even a couple of years ago it's becoming more common but it's not like in the US where it's you know you have life everywhere <laughs> yeah in the UK you know talking about our feelings yeah so so it kind of opened my eyes that you could you know find these other people and so I, I found an amazing woman in um in New Zealand um Melissa Turner um so she had like a, a coaching a course basically and I followed that and that's when I delved so much deeper and I know before I started it I was kind of like what am I going to learn more I've learned loads of stuff on this fertility coaching and mm-hmm. learned to use coconut oil and blah 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 and I thought like, well, what more can I do <laughs> I mean well, yeah, coconut oil makes everything better come on <laughs> And that's when I kind of learned a lot more and I learned to understand what endometriosis was about the inflammation, about my immune system, like having that, the aha moments. I mean, I'd had years of three years in a row where I'd got depression. I'd had the signs of um, skin sensitivity, um, food sensitivities. I think the worst skin sensitivity was when I ended up in hospital with anaphylactic shock, having been stuck. Wow. Um, and it went all around my face, all around my throat. I was in Canada, didn't have any money, didn't have my wallet, left it all somewhere because I'd been stung. And that was my body going, will you not? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, what do I have to do? I've been telling you. So yeah, yeah, that, that's a classic is like stings is a classic. So that's your immune immune response is just overdrive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I then learned about all of these things, it was kind of like, aha, now I understand. And then kind of went through finding out what I then needed to do to reduce the inflammation, to sort of regulate my hormones. And then kind of, and as that went, my immune system sort of regulated itself. And, you know, I, yeah, it just, right. I didn't have the food sensitivities as much. I've still got some. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I'm not hundred percent, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So can you give us, a, um, you know, a couple of examples of how to go about bringing down inflammation, knowing that it's, you know, slightly individual, but what are some good places people could start? Well, the, the best place to start is with food. So mm-hmm. it is with nutrition, um, because actually it's the easiest place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of women will be like, no, that's not easy, but it is when you kind of know what's going on, it is the easiest place to start. And the biggest one really is gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got some inflammatory things and gluten is a big one with women with endometriosis and it's always worth giving it up at least trying for a month seeing if you know bring it back in again and see if then it actually cuts out your period pain i mean for me i reduced my period pain by about 70 percent within a month i just just to interject here really quick because i have you know uh, some clients that will be in denial around that gluten (laughs) gluten dairy and coffee are the hardest things for people to give up um, but even, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, I cut it out for 30 days and it didn't really make a difference. And I say to them, cut it out for three months and then talk to me too, because sometimes it can happen right off the bat, but sometimes there can actually be so much damage from gluten <laughs> to the intestines that it really takes not only a few cycles, but also just, um, you know, in terms of your gut health to feel different, it takes three months or more. So just a little interjection there. No, and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant because it's what I actually say to my clients as well in terms of it's also very easy to give up the gluten and then not he- necessarily heal the gut. So you can give right. up the gluten, i.e. remove the inflammatory causing foods like the gluten, the sugar, the soy, mm-hmm. um, you know, the coffee. Mm-hmm. But if you don't then heal, help your gut heal, it's not going to help you because yep. you'll still get the large food particles then going into your body, causing inflammation. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. you've kind of got to do the both. You've got to remove the, the inflammatory causing foods, but also do the healing. Yeah. Yeah. So what and are some of the things that you did to help heal your, your gut? So bone broth is a really good one. Um, you know, make your own bone broth from organic bones. It's full of the collagen, um, which is really, really good for healing those holes that basically get caused by, the um gluten um basically you get these holes so you end up like a sieve they call it leaky gut mm-hmm. um so yeah so that helps to heal those those holes up so then larger food particles don't then end up going into your into your bloodstream which is what you don't want um things basic like learning to chew better mm-hmm. um, that's a big one for me <laughs> <laughs> it's just stomach acid um in fact 
a, a stomach acid test. I think when I did it to see how much stomach acid I had, it took me 45 minutes till my first burp instead of wow, um, wow, so I literally had nothing, yeah, you know, going on, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, learning to heal my digestive system, so that mm -hmm. for me was a biggie, and I used to do self-massage of my mm -hmm. abdomen. Mm -hmm. And when I massaged my, my stomach, um, the pain, my stomach to touch my stomach. Oh, it was just so inflamed, huh? It was so inflamed. And it's interesting. If I end up having gluten now, um, it doesn't make me think I should test for celiac. When I have gluten now, my stomach just gets painful again, just to touch. So like mm -hmm. if I'm holding my little boy and he kicks me, it's, it's painful. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting with gluten because, you know, some of the, I've had this happen with clients where they do a celiac test and it comes out, you know, that they don't have it, but some of the more you know, recent research is pointing towards non-celiac gluten intolerance being, I don't want to say just as bad, but it has a lot of the same symptoms, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, don't let it stop you from you know um consuming or or don't don't keep consuming it because you have found out you don't have celiac yeah. and you know i definitely with the testing that i use the gi map and um, the mrt food sensitivities test you know most people do end up showing um some of the antibodies to um gliadin which is a component of of gluten um and so i tell people you know this isn't this isn't that you have, you know, it's definitely not that you have celiac. It's not even saying like you absolutely have a gluten intolerance, but it's a really good indication that you do. So, you know, for this period of time, for this healing protocol, let's take it out, you know, and then often people, if they try it again later, like they notice right off of that, like you're talking about, you know, that does not feel good. And I know for me, I struggled for years with the idea, not to do with the endometriosis, but I had chronic fatigue in my 20s, mm -hmm. which I now know is related to the endometriosis. Mm. But I mean, for a year I was bedridden um, and I had people saying, why not try giving up gluten and dairy that will help with the fatigue? And I was like, nah, yeah. I just wasn't open to it. Yeah. I literally, I tried everything else, but I wasn't open to it. So I can understand it's a big thing. It's mm -hmm. a, I mean, now is less so than... 10, 15 years ago. Because right. there's more options. And I'm not talking about the gluten-free nasties. Right. I'm not talking about those. <laughs> which are worse than the gluten itself. Yeah, a lot of them are, that's for sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's, other, there's other options. Like I don't think buckwheat, for example, right. was really common as, a, you know, as, as, a, as, as an alternative. You know, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. alternative grains that you could get into your diet mm -hmm. I don't think were as as common um and therefore you're kind of left with not so much and and the other thing because you asked what people should um in terms of what they should do to reduce the inflammation mm -hmm. is go on to an anti-inflammatory diet mm -hmm. but where I just want to link in with what I was talking there is if you might come up the you all sorts of foods might cause inflammation for you and then you end up having to cut out loads mm-hmm mm-hmm but the reason why that is, is if you haven't healed your gut, of course, those foods are going to still continue to go into you, cause an inflammation reaction, and therefore you're going to cut this stuff out. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're just looking at endometriosis, that's okay. But if you're looking at fertility in conjunction, mm -hmm. this is then going to start causing issues because you're going to end up undernourishing yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that with fertility is that if you are undernourished, that's not going to help you get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So you need to check, you know, key nutrients and making sure that you are getting a really nourishing, super, um, you know, sort of nutritional diet. So when I talk about sort of fertility, I like to make sure that you, you get all that nutrition in there as much as possible. So mm -hmm. it is it's about healing the gut so that you can then start to make sure that you can get that nutrition in there. I mean, with gluten, I mean, there's so many tangents I could go down here. Like, <laughs> so many links, but with gluten, I mean, a lot of people who have suboptimal fertility mm -hmm. are often iron deficient. Mm -hmm. And if you then try and raise their iron and then they struggle, their iron is not coming up. And it's not mm -hmm. just their blood iron, it's actually their ferritin, so their, mm -hmm. what you call their um, serum ferritin, mm -hmm. which is their iron stores. And if your iron stores are low, your body will 
not want to basically get pregnant because yeah. you need so much iron to grow a baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you have gluten sensitivity, it basically stops you absorbing iron specifically. Mm-hmm. So if you then stop, give up the gluten, you can then, and heal the gut, you can then increase your iron. So there's mm-hmm. a link between different things. And if you're finding your iron isn't raised and you're still eating gluten, then the first step is to give up the gluten and then see if that works. And to sort of jump off that, I think that that's actually true for several key nutrients. You know, I see so much um, vitamin D is low in so many people, vitamin B12, which is, you know, often connected to the iron situation. Um, But these are things that, you know, I I look at my clients, that's usually easy blood tests for them to get through through their regular doctor. And these low levels are happening all the time. And it's not Mm -hmm. just that there's an epidemic of like, everybody has low, you know, levels of these nutrients, it's, there's these underlying causes, and it's really the gut needing to be healed, you know, so that it can absorb these nutrients. And I just want to point out to everybody listening, whether you're listening, because you do have endometriosis, and you're trying to get pregnant, or you're just listening, because you're listening, everything that Lizzie's saying is true for any hormonal issue, (laughs) you know, and really, like, any gut issue, too. Like, it's amazing to me, because I'll talk to, you know, people about all these different aspects of hormone issues and it really always comes back to the gut, you know, that's where you absolutely have to start and you absolutely have to upregulate your digestion. You have to heal that leaky gut. You've got to bring down that inflammation, which is going to happen by doing those other things um, and just get that nutrient dense food in your system. And that's when the body, that's when the hormones, I don't want to say will take care of themselves because there's more work you have to do sometimes. Um, but it's going to allow for the hormones to really start to heal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm completely, I completely agree with all of that. I yeah. think that there's just so many parallels between different, you know, different things. And so many women might come with different issues. They might have low cortisol, they're really fatigued and you kind of have to then work on that. And then that's related to sort of insulin resistance. And then you've got thyroid issues that there's, and you know, that's again related to your gut and yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never ending. Let's talk a little bit about estrogen and how that shows up with women with endometriosis. So what happens is with endometriosis, um, most women, and I say most, not all, um, have estrogen dominance. It has been found that um, um, there are receptors the, um, that are progesterone, progesterone receptors rather than estrogen receptors. But the majority of women have estrogen dominance, i.e. they have too much estrogen to their progesterone. Okay. So they can either have high estrogen or low estrogen, but they've got too much compared to the amount of progesterone they need to have. Um, and that doesn't help with the inflammation as well and also what happens is their liver so basically their liver function is poor um, and quite often their detoxification pathways are basically um, stuck they're not detoxifying um, the estrogen so estrogen gets detoxified within the liver um, and there are different processes you can go into sort of into all the detail um, I don't know if you want to want us to go into that detail right now but what happens is you can end up with the estrogen met- metabolites basically um, being recirculated around your body if you don't detoxify them and they get, get excreted out. And that's when they can cause a lot of further damage. Mm-hmm. And it's said then that those estrogen metabolites end up um, triggering further, um, basically, um, growth, endometriosis growth around yeah, that. You know, the outside of your womb, et cetera, et cetera. So estrogen is the one that's an issue and that's where you need to really work on the, on your liver and your detoxification pathways as well. Um, particularly phase two de- detoxification. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, um, I actually, I'm not going to get into it. It's another rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> methylation, but I'm not going to talk about it. It's too many rabbit holes. Well, to, to link back to what you're commenting, you know, about your story and doing hormone testing and everything turned out quote unquote fine. Um, you know, I'm assuming it was serum tests that they did and, half the time they don't even do serum tests on the right day, much less the serum test, even giving you that much information, even if they do it on the right day. Right. So, um, what, what do you think is sort of a better approach if women do want to check into their hormones, if, if they're having issues? So one of the, I mean, the really basic ones. So if you don't want to spend any money, 
Um, a really basic way is basically through basal body temperature, so measuring mm-hmm. your cycle, um, and that will give you an indication. So if you're, you've got a lot of fluctuations it, within your temperature range, mm-hmm. um, both in your first half of the cycle and second half of the cycle, both your luteal and follicular, mm-hmm. they will fluctuate, and that shows that you've got you basically your estrogen is not stable and your progesterone isn't mm. stable you want those as flat as possible and you want your estrogen high your progesterone higher than your estrogen because that's what happens in your body progesterone basically is um is <clears throat> i can't think of the word now it causes it basically causes heat in your body mm-hmm. it heats up your body um so that's why your temperature increases after you ovulate mm-hmm. um so just this very simple process of taking your temperature on a daily basis and then learning to be able to read and understand it gives you sort of an empowerment to understand what's going on with your cycle mm-hmm. um but if you really want to drill down and get more detail and more understanding then i use the dutch test um is a really really good way so you can do the dutch cycle mapping which is it basically you look at um, your entire cycle mm-hmm. so dutch is dried urine test for comprehensive hormones i know you've talked about it uh, many times mm-hmm. so your listeners will know quite a lot about it now mm-hmm. um, and it's just a really good way of understanding what's going on in terms of your estrogen detoxification pathways uh, whether they're going down the right pathways whether you are um, uh, whether you've got an issue with your phase one phase two and then whether you need to do something about it mm-hmm. so that's kind of like a very simplified way to kind of explain it but I find so, that's a really, yeah yeah, good yeah. Test. so I will note and I'm not positive about this but I'm pretty sure that unfortunately the cycle mapping in the u.s does not include the estrogen metabolites and i know in the uk i remember you sharing that thing that you could kind of choose a little bit more yeah um so i wish that they would change that but last time i checked that was still the case it's just your estrogen progesterone and i believe testosterone is on there too maybe dhea but it's really just looking at your estrogen and progesterone over the month which is weird it's frustrating because that is such a big part you know and it it's why i tend to use the one day um test with dutch because you get that um i do in some cases use um a saliva cycle mapping from another company diagnostics um that unfortunately doesn't have the estrogen metabolites on there, but it does have FSH and LH, which, which is interesting. Yeah, okay. It's the only one that, that, that via saliva that I know of um, that you can get that information too. And you can really see, you know, they, they map it out really well um, for the month, but yeah, it's, I think you guys have a little bit more of a choice in the UK That's around that, which is interesting, right? I know. I, I mean, I just looked recently again, to make sure that that was still the case on there, you know, they have on the Dutch site, they have, um, you can look at the examples of the different ones and I think that's still the case. So do you know why that is? Cause obviously Dr. Carrie Jones is from America. Right. And it's know. based here. I, and yeah. it's based in the US. I don't know, yet, I don't know if it's a different company. Like if, a, if there's a company that works with Dutch in the UK, you know what I'm saying? Like a yeah, regenerous uh, labs who I work through. Yeah. I mean, so they, they work- may be able to like, pair them together differently. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interesting thing. So I will double check on that after saying that, but I'm pretty sure because that's why I haven't done cycle mapping. Um, okay. a few of the times that it would have been a, a good thing. Cause I really wanted to see that estrogen detox, but I do want to go back really quick and then, um, I, we, we could go on forever, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to say, cause I didn't realize with, um, you know, tracking your temperature that, fluctuations in either the follicular or luteal like you know i know i'm always looking for that jump up in the luteal to show that you've ovulated but that if it kind of goes up and down in the first part that's your estrogen sort of all over the map and then if it goes up and down in in the luteal phase does that mean your progesterone's kind of all over the place or is that that's okay it's the same um so you really want to kind of shoot for and nice and like nice and flat through follicular and then hop up and nice yeah. and flat through yeah. luteal interesting soaring, yeah. that's showing you've got hormonal imbalances yeah 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 Very same as like another indication is clots mm-hmm. so if you've got clots in your period that's yes. an indication that you've got estrogen dominance mm-hmm. that's definitely a big one yeah 
So yeah, lots of signs. Lots of signs. So I know that I could ask you so many more questions um, about this process, but you know, instead I will let people contact you so that they can work with you around this stuff because I think, you know, the fact that you have gone through this process yourself um, and very deeply, obviously, you know, years and years of even finding out, you know, to figure out that you had endometriosis and then eventually you got pregnant for anybody that was wondering, I, I did mention in the beginning that she does, she does have a child, but you did eventually get pregnant. And so now you help guide women on this process. Um, yeah. and, and as we all know, we, I talk about the, on this podcast all the time, it's never just diet. You know, it is absolutely, as Lizzie mentioned at one point, like stress is a, has a huge impact. It affects our adrenals, it, which affects our sex hormones. Um, and, you know, supplements, there are certain supplements that you need depending on the situation. So, um, yeah, get in touch with Lizzie. Um, and yeah, and like, I, I know that you just uh, launched a brand new website. So that's very exciting, right? For people yeah, to, be able I to just, check that out. I just rebranded. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You'll have yeah. to take a look, which is very excited. And it's the key reason why is actually I'm launching a podcast in two weeks' time. Ooh, exciting. 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 Yes. So that's the endofertility podcast. Okay. Um, two weeks on Wednesday, so less than two weeks. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, probably exciting. when this comes out, it will be um, about a week away. So, oh. Yeah, I know. So, it's perfect. Thanks. Everybody can hop on. Um, iTunes, I'm assuming you'll yes. be on iTunes, Spotify, yeah, all, sort of, all, all the places. Can, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, we'll hop on, you know, um, go ahead and subscribe to her podcast as soon as it comes out so that you can exactly. hear all the great episodes. And I well, if you check out, I'm about to be running a competition actually. So if you uh, check out my Instagram and also my website in the next couple of days, I'm about to launch um, a little competition sort of with the pr promotion of the podcast. So I'm oh. going to be giving away an hour's coaching Ooh. to anybody um, who signs up basically to my newsletter. So you can hear it, you know, find out when the launch is and I will be giving away to one lucky winner, winner an hour's coaching. So, that's amazing that's an awesome gift oh my goodness you guys hop on top of that and somebody win that thing <laughs> get, get on your good new path so well thank you lizzie so much for being here with me today and all this good information that you shared um i definitely feel like i learned um some more about endometriosis and and you know because i am seeing it so much more um with my clients i really you know i think it's important for this information to be out there and for people to really understand and especially if they've been struggling with their periods for many many years like you did thank you well thank you for having me on i always feel like, like with these things there is so much stuff that like you said you yeah. Karen, talking about yeah. you know the fertility there were you know lots of things we could have discussed but mm -hmm. it's a big small topic yeah it is it is a big small topic <laughs> and that's why everybody you gotta listen to lizzie's podcast because she's going to be able to dive into each of these little areas you know much more in depth each is it going to be a weekly podcast it is it was going to be fortnightly i've now oh. turned it weekly so Ooh, yeah i'm going to be doing one every other week and having interviews every other week with okay. some amazing people including yourself Yay! very exciting so, uh, yeah so thank uh, thank you so much for having me on it's been a real pleasure and i've yeah had a lot of fun chatting great thanks for being here all right you guys i will see you next time